Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your spirit. We thank you for his ministry in our lives. We thank you for the fact that he leads us and guides us and empowers us and, and gives us everything that we need to live a life pleasing to you. We pray now he would teach us and he would be the one that we're hearing and that we would know exactly what you have each of us to say. Thank you for the unique plans that you have for each one of us regarding this passage. Thank, for inter thank you for interrupting things, Lord. We know that you do that for many reasons, and we know you know what's best. So we trust you, and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Ministry is a very interesting thing. <laughs> it's a very interesting thing in which to be a part. And service is really the idea behind the word ministry. The word minister means a servant, means someone who serves. And there's a very specific way in which we're supposed to be engaged in this thing called ministry. Biblically speaking, we're all called to the ministry. There's no such thing as only the, the, the preachers and the leaders and all that. They're in the ministry and then everybody else is just spectators or, or supplemental at best. It's not even close to that biblically. We're all called to the ministry. And so he hasn't left how we should minister up to us. We can't just decide on our own how we should serve, how we should minister. God's laid it out very specifically in his word on what that's supposed to look like. And of course, the, 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 the consummate view of that or, or picture of that or illustration of that is the Lord Jesus. And he didn't minister just one way. He ministered many different ways. And, and he never did the same thing twice, it seems like, or in the same way. People couldn't expect him to work in a certain way. What they could expect was his character. What they could expect was his godliness and how he treated people. All of those things were consistent. But what you couldn't predict is the way in which he would show that character. He would heal differently. He would act differently in, in the sense of a certain situation. He'd always do the right thing. He'd always meet the greatest need in the room. But, but he wouldn't always do it exactly the same way. We love systems, don't we? We love tradition. It's inherent in our sinful nature. We just love getting caught in a, in a rut, so to speak. And God shakes us up at times. And he says, no, this is how I want you to minister. This is the word I have for this person. This is the very specific way I have for you to be my hands and my feet and my mouth in this situation. And so it, it behooves us to to look at what scripture says, because God knows that our actions as we serve other people have consequences. To us, unfortunately, at times it can be theory, but to him, it, it matters to him because it affects real people. And if you look at Matthew 23 and how he assessed the Pharisees and how they treated people, it, he wasn't supremely angry for any other reason except how it affected the people. And he was, they called him blind guides. He called them, you know, all these things that you go and you try to get a convert and then you make them twice the son of hell as you are. It, it was because how it affected people. And, and so there's a danger of ministering the wrong way. And since we're all in the ministry, it's healthy for us to look at some good, healthy traits of ministry. And so I've entitled this message, Healthy Ministry Traits. And so from Acts chapter 20, if we don't get raptured first, hey, we always got to be looking up. 
You don't pray to be raptured while I'm teaching, okay? That's forbidden, but that can happen. That may happen. That's going to happen someday. Someone's going to be preaching somewhere, and they're going to be raptured out. And, and someone might see that as deliverance. I don't know. But, uh, so we've kind of looked at the background as we've read through the verses, but I want us to just kind of start in verse 16 for the sake of time. And he says there in uh, verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend uh, time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. For from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And so here Paul, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He always had this dream. You ever had a ministry dream? You just picture yourself. In whatever situation you may find yourself. I could think of all the people that serve in our church and what they may have as their ministry dream. If they could do anything, if God could let them do anything in their, in their, in their ministry, what it, what it would be. I'm not going to get into mine. That would be more entertaining than a sermon should be able to contain. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, Paul's ministry dream was to minister to the Jews. He even said if all of the Jews would collectively turn to Christ, he would be willing to have his salvation forfeited and to be eternally separated from Christ. That was his dream. But he was called to the Gentiles. And his greatest desire uh, related to meeting the Jews' salvation needs, so to speak, uh, he couldn't be engaged in that. I mean, there were many Jews that came to know Christ through his ministry, of course. But he wanted to go there. And so he was determined to go there. I believe God was leading him to go there. And, and so here he is in, in this time, but on his way, he wants to make good use of time. He doesn't waste time. He wants to redeem the time there. So he knows that these Ephesian elders, they need to have some final words from him. So he calls for them, and he calls for them on this, this, this little place called Miletus there. And so he's going to engage them, and he's going to share with them. And from that, we can learn some great ministry uh, traits or characteristics, and I want to cover 10 of them today. The first one is that Paul lived by example. Notice in verse 18 he says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. And it's noteworthy that he says from the first day. Did you see that in the middle of verse 18? From the first day, from the very beginning, from day one, you saw how I lived among you. And then he says, and you know what, what manner I always, notice the word always, I always lived among you. That speaks of consistency. It's something that God's working for or, or at in our lives to make us consistent and to be faithful. And he says, I lived among you at the end of the verse there, which means that Paul was accessible. You can't really engage in fruitful ministry if you have a healthy distance from the people doesn't work that way. As it's been said, healthy shepherds smell like their sheep. But this isn't just for shepherds, of course. This is for everybody. You can't, you can't meet people's needs and be fruitful in ministry if you're never around them, if, you're not, if you don't have engagement with them. And so you have to be consistent, you have to lead by example, and you have to be accessible. And so in our ministries, whatever we have, whatever we're in the middle of, God's calling, called us to serve in specific areas of ministry, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told twice that every part does its share. He uses the word tw- every twice to show that we all have a place in the body of Christ somehow, 
some way, making a difference. And, but to do that properly, we have to be able to be among the people and we have to be able to be consistent and lead by example. Second healthy ministry trait is serving in difficulty. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And so first of all, he recognizes that his ministry is not supremely ministering to people. It is that. But he's, he's serving the Lord. Look at the beginning of verse 19. Serving the Lord. That's what he's been doing. So he has a very specific idea of what ministry is about. He's doing something for another person. And that's a good searching question. It's a good thing to have search our hearts to recognize what are, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing what we're doing for the Lord, uh, to, for man to see, to, to be impressed, to, to have some need met in our lives supremely? Or are we doing it because we want to bless him? Sometimes God will test our motives. People will not appreciate us. It'll, go, it'll be a while before they say, I really appreciated that you did this or that, or you made a big difference in that situation with your spiritual gift or whatever. And then we can get kind of angry or, or, or agitated. And we could say, you know, no one appreciates me. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. And the Lord comes in and says, why are you doing this? Are you doing it for them? Are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it for me? And Paul says, serving the Lord. We are doing it supremely for him. And how? He says, in all humility there. You can't serve the Lord very long or very well in pride. And pride is so dangerous to all of us. And it's been said that one of the first things that pride does is it it makes it hard for us to recognize it in ourselves. It's hard for us to see that. We feel like we're experts at seeing it in other people, don't we? I was like, I teach classes on that. I could see it in other people so easily. I don't see it in myself. Sometimes the fact that I'm proud that I can see it in other people is an evidence that I'm struggling with pride, you know, and it's just like this endless cycle. So we have to have the Lord, the, the, you know, come in and say to us, hey, you're having too much confidence in yourself. You think that you can't be replaced. You like too much that people look up to you. You enjoy that position. You relish it. You like people looking up to you. You have to be guard against that. He says, in humility, we need to serve God. Humility is having an accurate view of ourselves. You can actually say something good about yourself and still be humble. Did you know that? Jesus said plenty of good things about himself. He wasn't prideful. It's appropriate. Humility is saying an accurate description of yourself. It's, It's believing an accurate description. You can say, I do this well and not be in pride. But the pride is seeing yourself above you're seeing yourself above. And sometimes we are okay with, with God saying certain things to certain people in his word, but no, not to us. That we're, 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 we don't need prayer as much. Other people can need prayer, but we don't need to ask for prayer. Well, that's a different set of rules for us. That's pride. It's so subtle. And so we need other people speaking to our lives related to that. But then he says, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So much of ministry is in the context of suffering. Sometimes we have this view of ministry that everything's just going to go well and easy and it's all just going to, there's not going to be that much spiritual warfare involved and we won't have to sacrifice. Wait a minute, I don't want to spend too much time on my Sunday, your Sunday, okay. Every day is for the Lord. Every day is his. My t- people say, I'm sorry for taking up your time and I, I remind them, I don't have time. <laughs> you know, it's his time. He's the one that's purchased my life. 
And so that should be the answer for all of us, and I fail in that just, as, just like anybody else at times. But we have to not be broadsided by trials and tribulations in the context of ministry, because that's, that's what it's about. That's, that's kind of how it works. And so he says, I, I'm not going to be uh, distracted from this, and this is how I came in humility, and so forth. Now, he says the verse, the, the, in verse 20, the third healthy ministry trait, and that is, Teaching is important. He says, How I kept nothing back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So he said, I kept back nothing. And the context is teaching. He held nothing back in his instruction related to the things of the Lord that they had need of. He didn't say, well, you're really needing this one subject to be taught to you, but you know, it's really not my subject. I, I really don't care that much about that particular area. I haven't read a lot of books on it. it it'd be inconvenient for me to have to cover that. He says, no, I, I love you and I care about you. And whatever you have need of, I'm going to teach. Now, we could be tempted to think, well, if I'm not a leader, I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm not called to teach. This, this verse doesn't apply, but it does. Because God has an expectation for every one of our lives that we will pass on and share what we've learned. Remember, we read recently in Hebrews, and he said some of you should be teachers by now. And I believe it's beyond just official roles of teacher in the body of Christ. We should be able to communicate and share what we've learned. You could be a new Christian and just come to know the Lord. You should be able to explain and teach someone the plan of salvation. And once you've been in, around the things of the Lord and read just a little bit, you should be able to teach them a lot. But we think, well, I don't have a degree. I don't have a, a seminary degree. I mean, a seminary degree. We don't have a, we don't have a, uh, you know, I don't have all the fancy words or whatever. And, and God has, has a history of using people that weren't great orators, that didn't have this great speaking ability. And he uses them in spite of themselves, like he uses all of us in spite of ourselves. So he says, I have held nothing back. I proclaimed it to you and taught you, notice, publicly and from house to house. There was no context in which Paul was not available to teach. He didn't say, well, I just do the church thing. I don't do the home thing. I don't do the Walmart thing out in front of Walmart or this other situation. Any context in which we find ourselves, we should be available to teach and to share what we've learned. And that's a very healthy ministry trait, to be available. The fourth ministry uh, trait that's healthy is to be ready to preach the gospel. He says in verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He was ready. He was ready to preach the gospel. He did preach the gospel everywhere he went. And that's the case for us. He We've been given a commission, and as it's been said, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. So God, that's our mission, is to preach the gospel in this world. The purpose of when we come together here is not supremely to preach the gospel. The church gathering is not supremely the evangelistic vehicle through which the world's going to come to know Christ. The gospel should be preached, and we do preach the gospel here. But why we come together and why we fellowship together and use our gifts among one another and, and are under the teaching of the word and so forth is that, so that we can be mature believers who can go out there and preach the gospel. Everywhere in the book of Acts, the gospel is preached mostly outside of when the church gathers. That's the whole purpose. We've got that all mixed up now. And so because of that, uh, it doesn't function the way things should be uh, it doesn't function the way that God has set things up. But one thing I do note in the verse there, you know, I note the word repentance there in the middle of the word, in the verse. 
And sometimes people want to leave that out. And repentance is very, very important. John the baptizer or John the Baptist, I'm glad people are saying baptizer now for all this time, you know, up until a certain point I thought he was just denominational guy, you know, he's John the Baptist. But he was John the baptizer. His whole ministry was to prepare Israel to receive the gift of salvation. That's the whole reason. And he's a, that whole arrangement with John the Baptist there is a picture of how the gospel's preached. You, you talk to people about repentance, what it means to make a U-turn in the road of life and to make that change of mind to, to turn to God. That prepares you to receive the gift. Repentance doesn't earn you the gift. Pre- repentance prepares your heart to receive the gift. And it's very important. Paul, uh, at one point in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, verse 30, he said, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. First of all, he used the word all, so that, that ruins Reformed theology there, <laughs> because he wants the whole world to hear the gospel and everyone to repent, every single person to repent there. But also, he says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. You can't take repentance out. The Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You can't separate repentance from the preaching of the gospel. So it's very important. We have to be ready to preach that gospel. In any area that we find ourselves serving in, we need to be ready to preach that gospel at any moment. Now he says... Uh, in verse 22, he gets to something else, and that's the number five healthy ministry trait, and that is that we need to be surrendered to God's ministry plan. He says, verse 22, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Sometimes God gives us a lot of information related to our future ministry opportunities. He lays it all out. You ever met someone that just kind of have it all laid out? And sometimes that he does that to a point, but most of the time he just kind of keeps it vague a little bit and it keeps us dependent upon him, keeps us in faith. And so Paul here, he was completely surrendered to God's ministry plan. He didn't know exactly what he'd be doing. He didn't know exactly the people he'd be talking to in Jerusalem. He didn't know exactly the, the, the context in which he'd find himself preaching there, but he knew it was good. He knew it was wonderful. But, he says, he adds a, something there. He says that it's chains and tribulations are a part of that. That can be God's ministry plan. Oops, I don't know if I signed up for that. And again, when he called the disciples, they didn't have... There are agents there working out negotiating a contract. I get this, right? If I go with you, if I follow you, I get this, and this is how long it's going to be, and I have this writer because I need these certain things in the context of, of, of ministry. He just says, come follow me. And there was something that happened between them and the Holy Spirit that said, that's the man you should follow. It doesn't matter what he calls you to do. Follow him right now. Go. And they did, and they weren't sorry Even dying martyrs' deaths, they weren't sorry that they did that. But he says, this is the plan that God has for me. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm standing in faith. I'm I'm trusting the Lord because he knows what's best. All things work together for good. But the next verse says he conforms us into the image of Christ through those things. That's how he defines good in verse 28 of Romans 8. 
So he says, I don't know what's going to happen, but the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that these hard, difficult things are going to happen. It's interesting that, you, you know, why did the Holy Spirit do that? Some people believe Paul made a mistake. He got out of God's will and God was trying to prevent him from going to Jerusalem. I don't, personally don't believe that. Because Paul was forbidden to go into Asia Minor and he heeded that. And it only, it only took one little <laughs> uh, disclosure of God's will to him and he knew that and he obeyed that. He's talking about every city. In the verse it says every. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit testifies in every city. It wasn't just Manteca and Lathrop and Stockton. It was Manteca, Lathrop, Stockton, Tracy, Modesto, Ripon, Salida. All, every place that he went, the Holy Spirit was testifying even beyond what he records in Scripture, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And he would have to be willful, willfully disobedient every single time the Holy Spirit spoke and he kept going that direction because that's the direction he was going. He was going to Jerusalem there. So I believe that that was God's grace preparing his heart to deal with those tribulations. Remember, when he got to Jerusalem, Jesus would appear to him after he was arrested there at the Temple Mount. Jesus would appear to him and encourage him. And then he was going to go off to, to Caesarea, and that's a whole other part of the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit, my point is, the Holy Spirit gave him what he needed to prepare him for those difficult things that he was going to face. And the Spirit does that in our lives. Whatever he, we're going towards that's difficult and hard, or whatever is part of our calling that's, that's difficult and hard and would be the equivalent of chains and tribulations for us, God gives us the grace and power to obey him in that and be faithful in that. I, that's why I believe the Holy Spirit was saying that in every city, because in every city his heart needed to be prepared for what was coming in Jerusalem. Now, I, I want to read a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, and it says this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, just those other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I can't imagine going through any of those things and on top of that, having concern for the church is plural. I can't even imagine what that would mean for a human being. How, but, God, but I know that God's grace is sufficient, and we're told that related to Paul's life, to help him go through all of that. And what's interesting is that what he stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 has already occurred before this point in Acts 20. <laughs> He's already gone through all that stuff. He hasn't even gone to Jerusalem yet. He hasn't even gone and been insulted and, and almost torn apart and saved by the Roman uh, uh, you know, leader there, thrown in prison. Then he goes to Caesarea. He has his life threatened. People make these, these packs that we're not going to you know, eat or whatever until we kill Paul. He's taken out secretly. He goes in Caesarea for two or three years in prison. And then he goes and gets in a shipwreck and then and, you know, ends up on the island, gets bit by a scorpion, ends up in Rome, and then he gets in prison twice before he gets beheaded. That's even before 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I mean, 2 Corinthians 11 has already happened by this point. And so is he going to ask us to go through that? He may. I don't put any limitations on God's calling on any one of us. We could be that 
fruitful related to God's ministry and through our lives, that he would send us out all over the world and these things could happen. I don't put limitations on, on any of that. But one of the reasons why I believe he allowed Paul to go through those things is to show us that go, show us that go through so much less than this, that God's grace is, is very sufficient to help us through these trials and that we can still be engaged in ministry in the context of it. I've known the Lord for 23 years. Some of you have known the Lord way longer than me. And if you're around the things of the Lord for any amount of time, you see suffering in your own life and you see suffering in other people's lives. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you see people handle uh, ministry difficulty or the, or the difficulties that happen in life in the context of ministry. And so often we, you know, we, 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 we go through something very hard and difficult and the first thing sometimes that can go is ministry. Or, you know, it's just too painful. And Paul kept the ministry going and being faithful in the ministry, even in the context of all these things that I, that I read. And he was still faithful because God's grace was still there to help him through that difficulty. And so many times when we go through difficult times and trials, God still calls us. To, he never stops calling us to do some, some things for him. And so often the time where we're the most fruitful are the times when we're the weakest, when we don't feel good. You know, most Sundays, I feel horrible on Sundays physically. Most Sundays. And, and God gives me grace. And I don't know why. Maybe it's to help me, you know, be more dependent upon him. I have no idea. But most Sundays, and that's why I ask for prayer on Saturday nights and throughout the week. But most Sundays, I feel horrible physically on Sunday. But he doesn't, he doesn't show that he's limited by my insufficiencies. He's not. And so sometimes when he calls us to do something, then we reach this difficulty. We have to realize that that doesn't mean that we're out of God's will or that we're doing it wrong. It means that he has more grace for us. And so maybe that's an encouragement for somebody here this morning. The sixth healthy ministry trait is that serving with, we need to serve with the intent to finish well. He says in verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul saw his ministry as a stewardship, and ministry was entrusted to him, and he saw it as something that's very valuable, and it's true for all of us. And what happens uh, in us as, as he requires that faithfulness, at least in part, is that he calls us to, he gives us the grace to hold our ground. When it talks in Ephesians 6, Stand, therefore. And when you've done all to stand, stand some more. That's all military speak. They would hold ground. That's what you do in the military when you're in a, in a ground offensive. You hold ground. And that whole context is talking about spiritual warfare and the weapons of our warfare and all those things, that, that the armor of God and so forth. He says to stand our ground. That's when he says none of these things move me. He's standing his ground. That's what he's saying. And I don't count my life dear to myself. In the context of these trials and tribulations, as we're being faithful in ministry, God's grace is proficient, and he called us to just stay faithful even if it's really hard and, and difficult. But it happens by me remembering what's coming, that I'm in a race, that there's an end, there's a reward ceremony, there's the beam of seat of Christ. I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for my life. And he calls me not just to start the race in faithfulness, he calls me to finish the race in faithfulness. And when I finish it in faithfulness, I will be able to say on that day that I 
accomplish what you have called me to accomplish by your grace, and that will bring tremendous joy to us because it will bring tremendous joy to his heart because we were faithful by his grace and by his power. So when you're depressed, and we all are there at times, we feel like someone just put a black, wet blanket over our, our lives, and we can't put two thoughts together. And, and our teenager is, appears to be getting more and more demon-possessed by the day, you know. And we're ready to, you know, call for the, the uh, you know, the, 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 um, the, what are the people that take class demons out? Yeah, one of those guys. And, and you're ready to just cry out for help, help you know, in, in, with emergency, break glass and pull out, you know, Bible and perform this exorcism or whatever. And, and you're just, you don't know what to do. You're going through difficulty. You know, that's when you stop and you say, oh, you still call me to minister to this person. And you still have all the grace that I need to minister to this person. And so I call upon you now and I humble myself. And maybe we'll call you to make a phone call, get prayer. Or get that strength, because we try to do the difficult things sometimes in the power of our own strength. So even in that context, he's calling you to encourage somebody. Make a phone call. You do that, even if you're going through a difficult time. Or maybe there's a kid down the street you've been reaching out to. But you all of a sudden feel horrible. But there's this opportunity to reach out to this young kid. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you the strength to be faithful to reach out to that kid who doesn't have a dad. Or whatever it is, it's, it's, I'm telling you, if you wait for things to be just right, to, to, to wait for these opportunities to come, they're going to pass you by. You have to just go through these difficult times and still look for the ministry opportunities because they're all around us. And we think, I don't have physical strength. Yeah, you're right, you don't. I don't. But he does, and he gives us the power to do it. So none of these things should move us in the grace of God. None of these things should to displace us in our, where we're at serving the Lord and in the ministry that we're uh, called to. I know it's hard. He doesn't minimize how hard it is. But he went through it first to show us how to do it. And he's our example. And so that end of the race is coming. The crown is coming. And so we want to finish our race with joy. Verse 25, he says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So they're not going to see him. They, he knows that. He senses that by the Lord. He's not going to see them anymore. And so they, that hits them pretty hard. That, what do you mean I'm not going to see you anymore? We can't Skype or anything? It's like, no, there's nothing. I'm going to be gone. You know, we'll see each other in heaven, but not in this world. So they're sad. So he says, therefore, I testify you to this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So every, like he has, as he's previously said, whatever you had need of, I didn't hold anything back related to instruction. Now, he didn't have Genesis to Revelation like we do. That's how we apply it today because that is the whole counsel of God for us today and we should study all of it. But he was faithful to them and he, he wasn't, you know, he's not talking about murder or being innocent in the blood of all men in that sense. He's talking about whatever men do, whatever people do in the context of my opportunity to minister to them, I'm innocent of whatever they do because I taught them everything that I thought that they, they could handle and everything that they needed. And, you know, so that's what he's getting at there. And he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. He's talking to the elders, among which, should be among whom, but among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And he he talks about these men in other places. Uh, There are those that just love to have people looking at them and love that respect, and they want disciples after themselves. And they'll come in even among a healthy place, a healthy spiritual environment, and they'll divide the flock and they will uh, take disciples after themselves. He says, guard against that. He says, savage wolves are going to come in and people from among you. So they, they needed to guard against that. And then that tells us kind of the, the, the seventh ministry healthy trait that we can have. And it's not just for leaders and it's protect the body of Christ. We can think that because we're not leaders that we don't have a place in protecting the body of Christ from false teaching. And that's not true. We all have a role. We all are watching out for false teachers that can come in among us. And it's, it's all of our role. But whatever we're in the middle of, whatever ministry we're serving, we have to recognize that he's given us discernment, all of us discernment. And, and we have to be careful that we're teaching the right thing, but also protecting those that are being taught in, in other contexts than us, protect them from other people coming in and influencing them. Now with you know the internet and Facebook and all that, people can post videos and articles so freely they don't have to go into the parking lots anymore and put them on windshields like they used to in the old days or come in and hand them out they can just post it right online so we have to be very careful about that he says therefore watch and remember for three years i did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears why did he have tears he had tears because he knew the damage it's always the people that are going to suffer that gets God's heart. And Paul was expressing God's heart. People were going to suffer as a result of these wolves and these people come wanting the preeminence in, in, among them. And though that's why he warned them day and night for three years. That's, that's the threat. That, that threat still exists today. There's a, there's a big threat in our fellowship for people to come in and do that. And we have to be very, very careful. God wants to warn us as well. So now, brethren, I commend to you, to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The eighth healthy ministry trait, and there's only 57 more, so don't worry about it, you know. No, there's 10, so we're getting close. We need to trust in the sufficiency of God's word. It's very important. Did you see that? He says there, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. God works through his word, to build us up and give us an incredible inheritance. And, and, and so we need to help people with that in ministry. We need to point people to God and point people to his word. Unhealthy servants, no matter what context you find yourself serving, unhealthy servants point people to you. Healthy, healthy servants point people to God and his word. Sometimes leaders will take an unhealthy kind of mediator uh, place in people's lives and so often people are willing to give them that place. Well, should I take this job or not? Well, it doesn't say in my Bible anywhere that you should take this job or not. I can't. What I can tell you is to pray and ask for wisdom. You know, so there are people that will take that place, but we need to have confidence that God will take care of their needs and that God will give them what they need to hear through his word. And that's what he says. That's what Paul does with these elders. And if these elders need it, we all need it. So he's saying... I commend you to God and to his word of his grace because in ministry we need to know that his word is a gracious word. If you serve in ministry any length of time, you realize you need a lot of grace. 
And so the Holy Spirit makes sure we see that in the context of serving, the context of watching over the flock, the context of being careful that the, the body of Christ doesn't get infiltrated by false teachers and so forth, that, that God's word is a gracious word to us and gives us grace to be able to withstand those things and to guard against those things. The ninth healthy ministry trait is not seeing God's people as a means to an end. He says in verse 33, I have not coveted, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Now he's not even really talking about his actions. He didn't say, I don't know if you noticed it, he didn't say, I have not taken anyone's silver or gold or apparel. He just says, I haven't even coveted. So not only have I not done it, I haven't even coveted that. Now they wouldn't know that. They couldn't verify that Paul didn't covet their things, but he's telling them, I didn't even covet. And in Romans, he talks about before he came to know the Lord, that was the one commandment that, it, that got him. All the other ones were outward for the most part. And that one was internal. That was of the heart. And that got him. And so here he says, I didn't see you as a means to an end. That's why we don't allow a lot of fundraisers here and a lot of things going on for your, you know, to pay for things and all that here. You can't, you can't feel like you're a means to an end for anyone here. This is a place, this is a refuge. This is a place where you're not going to be seen as a means to an end. We're not going to allow people to try to get you to do all these business things and use the church as a platform for all these things. This is a safe place where you're not going to feel like you're being hit up all the time by the body of Christ or for the, from the leaders. And it has to be that kind of safe place. And he's saying, I haven't coveted, I haven't, I haven't wanted anything from you. I'm not here for you to meet my needs. I'm here to serve you. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. Just like Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He says in verse 34, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities for those who were with me. So he didn't covet and he actually provided for himself, but not just himself, but the people that were with him. He provided for their needs as well. And he says in verse 35, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So it wasn't just to provide his own needs, to prove that he wasn't seeing them as a means to an end, but it was also to model generosity. We need to work to be generous. We need to remember the weak. That's why we are going the direction of serving those people that are without in our community. Because they are weak and they need help and so forth. And he says it's better to, 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 it's more blessed to give than to receive. How much do we talk about that in the context of ministry? But that's what it is. That's the context. Better to give than to receive. We, we serve. We, we want to help other people. And it's a beautiful thing when it's done biblically. The tenth and final healthy ministry trait is to, to be faithful and fruitful. When you're like that, it's hard to say goodbye. Look at verse 36 through 38. He says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all of the words which he spoke, that they would, not, they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now I'm going to just go over this real quick because I, I know better. <laughs> um, Chris is leaving. Chris and Mary are leaving. They're going to Hawaii. We announced it in the e-bulletin this week. And we're going to, we're, it's, this is a tough one to lose this family. And, but look at the impact that the Lord's made through their life. And that's why it'll be so difficult to say goodbye. 
because we love them. And they, they, have, they have been used by the Lord in all of our lives. But this happened all the time in the church. Study the book of Acts. See how often people were ripped from other relationships to go serve here, to go do this. They were always coming and they were always going out all the time. We've had some families come in recently, but God's sending some families out. That's how God works. That's what a New Testament church looks like. And it's a beautiful thing. And we have to receive well, but we also have to send well. And, and it's our responsibility to do that biblically, in love, and graciously, and, and in a way that would please the Lord. But they've been faithful. And, they've, and when they're faithful, God obviously takes that and he multiplies that and it impacts our lives. And that's why it's so hard to say goodbye. But we're not saying goodbye forever. It's just a temporary so long. We're going to be in heaven with those that we say goodbye to. And we'll probably see the Searle family again. I'm not saying that. But the fact is, the reality is, we're supposed to have eternal perspective. So we are recognizing we're going to be in heaven and get to enjoy each other for all eternity. Chris and Mary would tell you that they're no Paul. But Paul would say he's no Paul. Paul would say it's because Christ is in me that God's done anything. And they would be the first ones to tell you that. So the point of all of this is this as I close. God intends us to live the abundant life. He's called us to abundant life. And the, the fallacy is out there, and even in many churches, unfortunately, today, is that the abundant life is making my life the most comfortable <laughs> life that it could possibly, could possibly be in this world. And that's not true. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. We're, we're at least third. <laughs> we're probably even further down the list than that. So we think, well, for me to be fulfilled and for me to be happy and have this abundant life, I have to have all this stuff and I have to have this place in life or authority or whatever it is. I have to, you know, have the most comfort in my life. And so often the people that are used the most give up the most and sacrifice the most. They give their lives away. And that just doesn't happen overnight. It happens a process of God breaking them and pruning them. That breaking comes many times by having unmet expectations. You have expectations that God should work a certain way and then he doesn't do it. And he uses that to build character in our lives. And he uses that to make us more dependent upon him. So Paul has been a great example for us of how to be fruitful in ministry and not be self-centered but be other-centered and to do it well. Because all of us do it at some point to some level of success. But look at the excess of Paul and how fruitful he was and how long he went and how hard he followed after the Lord. That's a great example for us. If Paul were here today, he would say it's not a perfect example by any stretch, but it is a good example for us. So maybe these traits, maybe these things that the Holy Spirit can take in our lives and, 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 and help us to be more yielded over to him. Because if we're not giving our lives away, we're not like Christ. And we're, we have to serve in some capacity. I'm not talking about necessarily here. We have to serve in some capacity somewhere to be like Christ. If we're not serving, we're not like Christ. You can't be like Christ without serving. But there's a way to do that that's not in our own strength and by the grace and power of God. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And it's something that God can get glory for. And that's what we want. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of what you're doing. What a privilege it is to be your servants. But your word tells us we're not just your servants, we're your sons and daughters. Because you said, Lord, that a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. So you've called us friends, you called us sons and daughters, and we're, you call us co-heirs. 
we thank you so much for all the things you say about us. We'd never believe these things unless you told us, because we know ourselves. So we want to be yielded over to you. We thank you that you put up with us, Lord. Thank you that you put up with our sin. Thank you that you put up with our, how we fail. Thank you that your grace is greater than all of it. Help us to be fruitful for you. Help us to glorify you. Thank you that we don't have to strive. We don't have to try to make things happen in ministry. We just let you do the work as we yield to you and commune with you and abide in you. So use these verses. Thank you that you interrupted things today. We need to hear it. We needed to hear it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.